0: Chapter 2, Ninanaba Child of a Nabehu Leader Ninanaba loved that her father was a leader. When she was a little girl, she did not know her father was a war leader. She knew he was absent from the family during the winter months many days at a time. When she asked questions of her father, He would tell her that as a young girl she could not know most of the activities of her father and the men who left their families behind during the long winter months. You represent life, he would gently tell her, and that was the only clue he gave her. Her father was her favorite parent so when her father was away attending a war leadership meeting, she missed him. There were times when Nananabat and her brothers and her sisters were allowed to accompany their father and mother to the leadership gatherings. It was during these times that Nananabat noticed that within the leadership gatherings, there were twelve leaders who led during the fall and winter, in the same number who led in the spring and summer. As a young child, she knew that her father was very much involved with his role as a leader. It seemed that he was much more active in the fall and winter seasons. It was not until she grew older that she realized her father was a war leader. Her father tended to his weapons in a careful manner. It was during the fall and winter that he took his lance spear shield bow and arrows with him when they gathered for the leadership gathering because her father was a war leader their family would have to be active ready to leave to gather with other families at designated areas with very little warning once they arrived at the fall or winter gathering nananabat remembered the large hogan namazet round hogan which had been thoroughly cleaned out and repaired to look new, or one that was built specifically in observance of the leadership gathering. Weapons were placed outside in front of the Hogan Namaz, round Hogan, near the entrance that faced the eastern direction. The men sat inside the Hogan Namaz and discussed strategies for war. The war leaders planned for war because they had many enemies who were eager to kidnap a Nabeho woman or child to sell on the Indian slavery market. The leaders told of stories of war and described their different Anae enemies so the enemy could be easily recognized by Nabeho warriors. The war leaders were discussing a new enemy with white skin who enlisted the enemy of the Nabehu to fight against the Nabehu people. The war leaders also spoke to one another and the young men and boys of the importance of being physically fit and to be strict with the raising of the children so that the children would survive the uncertain and troublesome times of the coming of the Anayi. Enemies. While the men were in the one Ho'gan, discussing war strategies, the women gathered in another hoan and prepared food for the men and the children. It was an opportune time for the women to exchange stories and recent happenings. Ninanabat and her sisters used to play near the women, while her brothers stayed near the men, playing as if they were decorated warriors. During the spring and summer months, the leadership gatherings were still held, but different leaders were in charge within these months. It was a time when all the Nabeho were to strive for peace, and the people did all they could to preserve peace during these seasons. When the men went into the Hogan the Round Hogan, during the leadership gathering of the spring and summer one could see piled neatly and reverently the utensils that are used during the planting of the ta'ak'a cornfield. Na ta'ak'a te liege del al The planting of the corn is to be done in reverence, the children would be told. It was a time when the same families that gathered during the fall and winter once again came together to help one another plant in their da'ikeh cornfield. The elders took the corn kernels and seeds, saved from the last year's crop, and began inspecting them. The inspection was for the sake of setting aside the imperfect seeds. The seeds were then placed in water to become fertile. A group of men walked the entire length and width of the da'ikeh cornfield, with the purpose of letting the earth know the Nabejo were ready to plant the corn. They identified the four directions within the cornfield and told the young men and boys in which area the corn was to be planted, where the squash was to be planted, where the potatoes were to be planted, and where the beans were to be planted. While they did this, they asked the young boys to reverently shuffle their feet as they walked the length of the cornfield. The shuffling of feet was to wake the earth from its winter slumber and to let the earth know the Nabeho were ready to plant in the fertile field. Another group of men began clearing the cornfield to prepare for the planting of the corn. The logs that served as a fence to encircle the cornfield were restacked or replaced. Songs and prayers for a bountiful harvest were heard throughout the valley. Once the land was cleared, the elder men and older children followed closely behind the men who walked ahead digging holes in the ground by using a planting stick that was made from a branch of the greasewood plant, which they reverently made during the winter months. The elder men could be seen carrying a bag they had slung over their shoulders, which contained precious seeds. Walking beside the elder men were the children and the toddlers. It was the elders who looked after the toddlers, since neither could walk very fast. The elders told the toddlers how many seeds to place in the hole that was reverently dug The toddlers learned how to count during this process. As they placed seeds in the ground, the elders told the toddlers and the children about the environment and reverence for the environment. It was important for the toddlers to help since they represented seedlings, at times to speed up the process and so as not to tax the health of the elders the older children walked along at a slower pace, with a child tugging at the ends of her clothing. The older children gracefully covered the seeds with their moccasined feet. There was to be no laughter at the dyke This was one of the many times when children, parents, and elders were reminded of self-control. If there was laughter, the crop could become deformed, they told the children. Once, as a young child, Ninanabot remembered she saw a squash that was deformed, where the squash had a deep gash in the side of it, and her mother told her the gash looked like a crooked smile. Nichon, <speaking> t'adonn's in a ekoton nesigibits dot a and daget lota, dot a tzago No, do not look at it. It is to avoid having one of the crops turn out like that is the reason a person is not to laugh during the planting. One is not to tell jokes, and one is not to make fun of others. Put it down, your father will dig a hole for it. Nenonabot was sternly told. The squash with a deep gash that resembled a crooked smile made an impression upon Nenonabot. Nenonabot stayed near the women and helped cook for the men who were planting the corn, squash, potatoes, and beans. During the process, she was careful not to laugh and was even careful when she smiled during the planting in the Da'ika cornfield. With so many families gathered at one home to help in the planting in the Da'ik'e cornfield, it was not difficult to have the planting done in a few days. The families respectively then packed up their few belongings and settled at another family's home to begin the planting of the Da'ik'e once again. One could only imagine how tedious the planting could be for one family. The same rules surrounded the planting of the Da'ike were applied at each family's Da'ike cornfield and the children were once again cautioned on their behavior. The same activities surrounding the planting were strictly observed at each planting. When Nananaba was younger, she always felt her mother made her work too much. Now, as a young woman, she knew there were many chores that had to be done, such as keeping the fire warm during the cold winter months. During these months, Nananabat had to make sure her brothers had brought in enough wood to keep the coals warm. If the fire went out and the coals became cold, Nananabat's mother would scold her and tell her that the family would starve because she did not keep the fire going. Nila don deje de chintabitogal, dood da doodlol, hachalat seed khats anta nik as, desk asgo, dej de llje ko a yobi ya huye, khalat yistgyin goj e dej seed adas ol e, saani jilin go, hada da leit na Ditchin da birra do hat need do. Compaolia, a e naat e. Cotton's aunt Nes Haskin alchina beje, has a dole. Hashila hachin tida Your brothers and your younger sister will die of hunger, and they will freeze. Do not let the coals get cold. It is difficult to build a fire when it is cold. When your hands are frozen, you have trouble building a fire. As a woman, you have to make sure your coals stay warm. There will not be a time when someone will say, Your children froze to death or died of hunger. Take care of the fire. It is life. When your fire goes out, you will find that a man... Your children's father will have left you. Do not let that happen to you. Absolutely not. Nananaba could mouth the words as they spilled from her mother's tongue. Nananaba would secretly promise herself. When I have children, I will not scold them that way and I will not talk to them that way. As Nananabot grew older, she realized that building a fire and keeping it going was the responsibility of a Nabeho woman. She wondered many times why her mother just did not tell her what her responsibilities were instead of making accusations first. But Nananabot knew it was just her mother's way of teaching her the things a Hu woman was supposed to know. Another important aspect of Nabeho life that Nenonabot was responsible for was the care of the sheep. When her siblings were younger, they all went to herd the sheep to the watering hole, then on to the pasture thick with grass and nutritious plants, As Nananabat and her siblings became young adults, her brothers remained with the men and learned to become war leaders like their father, while Nananabat and her sister were sent out after the sheep. Nananabat's favorite time of the year was the springtime. It was an extremely busy time of the year, and the days flew by as if someone had grabbed the sun and dragged it across the sky really fast. Springtime was the time when the ewes were having their newborn lambs, and the female goats were having their newborn kid goats. There was an art to it. Ninanaba and her sister could not get too close to the little lambs and goats, for fear the female sheep and goats would lose interest in their little ones so Nananabat and her sister had to enjoy the baby animals from a distance. When the lambs and kid goats were just weeks old, Nananabat's mother divided the newborns into groups. She then told her daughters to pick a group of newborns, and Nananabat and her sisters would become the owners of the newborn lambs and kid goats they chose. Somehow their mother always knew which lambs and kid goats her daughters favored so Nananaba and her sister would have ownership of their favorite newborn. As the season passed, Nananaba would lose count of her herd, but her mother always knew who had ownership of each lamb, kid goat, and mature sheep and goat. At least once a month, Nananaba and her sister had to offer up a sheep, or a goat for butchering. It gave Nananabat great pride to know she was contributing to the wellness of her family when she offered up a sheep and a goat. Nananabat and her sister were cautioned by their mother that their sheep were for teaching them about life and responsibility and for the meat and the wool. In doing so, the young girls could not make any lamb or kid goat their pet. Otherwise, they were told it would lead to becoming stingy, which then would lead to disagreements and strife among family members. Nananapa appreciated the wisdom of her mother. There was the shearing of the sheep. That was a chore that Nananapa did not enjoy. Wool, dirt, and sheep and goat feces were thick in the air and on the ground. Nevertheless, the chore had to be done. The social aspect of the shearing was what Minanabat enjoyed. Nabeho families who lived nearby came and camped, ate together, shared stories and jokes throughout the shearing process, which shortened the process of the shearing of the sheep and goats. Minanabat loved to watch the goats once they had been sheared. They would run away and shake their heads as if asking, Anasazolala. What happened? I am light and weight. The goats would be shaking their bodies as they ran in a crooked line to join the goats that had been sheared. Ninanabat would laugh as she watched her goats run excitedly from place to place. Ninanabat's mother made piles of the wool and mohair that was sheared off. Each pile was for one of her daughters. Nananabat and her sister were told to remain busy throughout the spring and summer seasons, carding and spinning the wool and mohair they had obtained from their sheep and goats. Once the carding and spinning were completed, the looms were set up, and Nananabat and her sister were kept busy. Their daily chores were keeping the fire going, herding sheep, feeding the family, and weaving. The summer days were long, which allowed nananabot and her sisters to spend time outside with their sheep and goats. nananabot loved watching the little lambs and kid goats. After they took the sheep and goats to water and to graze in the pasture, nananabot and her sister would bring the herd home and begin watching the lambs and kid goats play. The sheep and goats were taken out a second time, and more time was left in the day for the little lambs and goats to play. There were many medicinal plants that needed to be gathered. Nananabat and her sister depended upon their mother's knowledge about the plants. They could only pick a few plants of each medicinal plant. The rest were left to mature, to be picked during the year. Their mother cautioned that if they picked all the plants, there would not be any left for the future. That is medicine, she told her daughters. Then she would tell them what ailment the plant cures. But only pick the leaves. Ba Take care of it. It is fragile. A Kai don't walk on it, she would warn to maintain the health of the plant. Bot was always amazed at what her mother knew about each medicinal plant. Another familial effort Bot enjoyed was the harvesting of the Nada corn, na squash, Chechiyan, melons. Namasi, potatoes, and Na'oleh, beans. Nenana loved seeing all the beautiful, vivid colors of the harvest. She loved seeing the delicate beans clinging to the little soft bean branch that crawled across the floor of the Da'ikeh cornfield. The smells and colors that burst forth when a melon was cut open The scent of the corn when the husks were pulled back to expose the colorful kernels and the fertile smelling soil that clusters around a little potato as it was pulled from the earth were some of Nananabot's favorite scents. The tastes of the harvest made Nananabot dizzy. During the harvesting of the fruits and vegetables in the Daiketh cornfield, Nananabot and her family camped near the Da'ik'e cornfield. The family feasted upon what was brought from the Da'ik'e cornfield. Everything they ate was bursting with flavor, which became one of Nananabot's favorite memories. The many days of her father and brother's planting, watering, hoeing, and weeding in the Da'ik'e Cornfield paid off in the bountiful tastes Nenonaba and her family enjoyed at every fall harvest. Another major activity was the preservation of the fall harvest. A portion of the corn kernels had to be separated, stored in a cool, dry place for the next planting of the Daike cornfield. Some of the corn was roasted in the ground, dried, and used in stews throughout the winter, or the corn was ground to be used as a sweetener for the corn mush dishes. Another share of the fresh corn was ground and placed in corn husks, then roasted in the ground, and later dried and used to flavor stews when there was very little meat to eat during the long winter. A major portion of the blue corn was dried in its fresh state, and when dried, the women sang songs as they spent hours grinding the dry corn kernels to be used to make various breads to help stretch their supply of food during the winter. During the short winter days, Nananaba and her sister were called in by their father to gather around a pot of hot stew and blue cornbread. While Nananaba ate the bread, she was glad she had helped spend so much time preserving the corn for the winter season. After their meal and when the sun had set over the cold horizon, their father and maternal grandfather began to share winter stories. Many of their stories were about the coyote and his many antics. Nananabat enjoyed hearing her father make coyote come alive by giving him a voice. Her father made his voice high and nasalized as he transmitted the way coyote spoke to the other animals when coyote was constantly being outsmarted by the animals. At the end of each story there was always a moral to be shared as a teaching for nenanaba and her siblings. When nenanaba became a young woman she endured her Kinalta puberty ceremony by complying with the many demands that are made of a young woman during the entire process of the Kinalta. nenanaba became aware that her mother treated her differently after the ceremony of the Kenauta. She was not scolded, accused, or ordered around. Ninanabat knew she had to begin the process of preparing herself for womanhood. She began to listen more carefully to the teachings of her mother and her maternal aunts and grandmother so she would have important teachings to impart to the children. Nananaba was proud that her bed, the tools she will use to feed her family, was growing. Nananaba also knew she had a wonderful role model in her mother, so she spent more time with her mother to learn as much as she could. Her sisters also willingly completed the rigorous ritual of the kinanta. When Nananabat's brothers' voices changed, her brothers also took part in their own form of a puberty ritual, which required that they participate in the sweat to learn songs and prayers from their father, uncles, and grandfathers. The beginning of leadership began with the sweat ritual. Upon completing the puberty ritual, a boy began his training As a Nabehu warrior. A few years after Nenanabat completed her puberty ritual, different families came by to visit Nenanabat's parents. The purpose of the visits was to ask for Nenanabat's hand in marriage, which the Nabehu called an arranged marriage. Nenanabat was well prepared for this time of her life because her mother had taught her well. Her father was a respected war leader, and so one of his daughters would bring respect, wealth, and honor to the young man's family if a marriage was arranged. Nenonabot did not know what outward beauty was, but she knew what made a young woman honorable, and she carried herself with nobility, grace, and elegance. Nenonabot was taught from a young age that there are four parts to a person that a Nabehu person should always be conscious of, which were one's form, one's clan affiliation, one's words, and one's shadow. Ninanaba was taught that a person could obtain a lot of information about a person by just looking at the person's form. Nijit Shait Ego Nahadneh. What is your form telling others about you? Is your form lazy? Your form should be working. The appropriate age of a person as well as their gender could be determined by looking at one's form. Your form should always be straight, eager to help, and willing to care for others. Nananabat was told throughout her young life. Nananabat was reminded on a daily basis of her clan affiliation. She was never to forget what her clans were. As a child, she learned all the clans that were related to her through her mother's, her father's, and her maternal and paternal grandfather's clans. At an early age, she realized she had many relatives. Hike a hulongo dozist a jidogata. Hike a haike a caishie da nigo, could then hach it nazinta. and da jaco, a da. Tadon hike patatosne. A person will never find themselves facing a dilemma alone. When you have many relatives, they stand there asking you how they can help you. A person is encouraged when their relatives help. Don't shun your relatives, her father taught his children. Nananabot learned to respect the environment through the teachings of the clan groups. Many clan groups are named after elements, animals, and people surrounding the Nabeho, such as the Zil near the mountain people, Shashdne, the Bear people, and Nash Dine, the Zuni people. Nananaba learned to respect the environment through the teachings of the clan groups. Many clan groups are named after elements, animals, and people surrounding the Nabehu, such as the Ziltni Dine near the mountain people, Shashtane'e, the bear people, and Nashteshtane'e, the Zuni people. Nenana remembered back to an early age when she was taught to be careful of the words she spoke. She learned to be deliberate in her speech at all times. Words were never spoken to hurt another person. A person should only speak words that are good. It is useless to speak words that hurt or the teachings Nananaba heard all through her young life. If someone voiced an expression out of meanness, the Nabehu elders were close by. Weighing the words spoken and a long lecture by the elders followed a mean or angry statement. Ninanaba and her siblings learned about their actions by watching their shadow. Hatchahao <laughs> Al your shadow should be busy at all times. Hanago al en when there is work going on around you, your shadow should be just as busy working alongside the others. If Ninanaba was found sitting down or lying down when everyone else was up and about, her mother would say, o atiyana, What is your shadow doing? That was all her mother had to say. Ninanaba would jump up and get busy helping her family by doing her chores. The teachings Nanana Ba and her siblings grew up hearing were what made her an honorable, elegant, and graceful young Nambai woman. Her parents were aware that they had to be very careful in choosing a mate for their beautiful daughters.